I'm going to make a promise to our listeners right now. What's the promise? The promise is that this podcast will continue Uh-oh. until one of us is dead. <laughs> can we can we agree on uh... Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 79, recorded on May 26, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host, Bryce, we talk about C++ Now 2022, Circle, Clang, and more. We're back. It's been over a month. Bryce went on uh, vacation for, what, like three weeks? There was work there. I was, there um, was work there. I'm sure there was. So up, update us, Bryce. You went to... C++ now first? Was that your first week off or did you take the week off before that to uh, travel around? No, we went to C++ now and and Aspen. How was that? Two tracks this year? Little, yeah, we did a little road trip. Usually there's three tracks. So this was a smaller conference. And when I first went to that conference before it was C++ now, but it was a different conference uh, before we started C++ now, um, uh, it was a two track conference. And I think the first year of C++ now was three tracks. Um, but this felt more like the boost cons of old. And then we went and did a, uh, a little road trip across, uh, Utah. And, uh, I'm still, I'm still finding sand in places where you really wouldn't think that sand would be able to, to get there, but there's a lot of sand. Where in Utah is there sand? Well, it's a desert, Connor. So. Is it? When I think of Utah... <laughs> Did you go to Bryce Canyon? Did you go to your canyon? Oh, not only did we did we go to Bryce Canyon, there are pictures of me wearing a Bryce Canyon t-shirt in front of a Bryce Canyon sign. There you go. Yeah. I assume you've been there before? Yes, I have been there. It's it's my canyon. Of course I've been there. <laughs> Legally I own it. <laughs> Legally. The US government yeah, uh... US government, please don't come after me. For those that don't know, Bryce Canyon is uh, it's very beautiful. I've been there once and um yeah, they've also got a rock called Thor's Hammer, and I'm a big fan of Thor, god of Asgard. But, I mean, yeah, when I think of Utah, I think of uh, Bryce's Canyon. I think Zion National Park, that's also in um, in Utah. And uh, and then Salt Lake City, which there's not a lot of sand in those places. Yeah, we did Arches, um, which is in the Moab area. We didn't do Canyonlands because timing. Um, and then... We went down to, in Boulder, Utah, which is like in the middle of nowhere in Utah, there is this Michelin-rated restaurant, Hell's Backbone Farm and Grill. Um, and my dad was like, you should go there. And I'm like, going going four, four hours out of the way for a restaurant? Of course I'm down for that. And uh, behind the restaurant, there's this road called Burrow Trail Road, which can take you into the back of uh, Capitol Reef National Monument. And it's it's a high quality like dirt road. Um, uh, but like it is a dirt road. <laughs> so it's a little, a little, a little intimidating, but uh, we drove down that and that was a lot of fun. Um, and then we went to the like Zion area. We didn't actually spend a ton of time in, uh, in Zion. Um, Did you do angels landing? Like horseback riding? Uh, no, we didn't do angels landing. Oh man. It's um, so beautiful. Uh, you, yeah. Needed a reservation and we didn't have one and, other reasons um we did horseback riding uh we repelled into a canyon um yeah we got mugged by uh by farm dogs 
Um, so you want to we elaborate a bit on this, that? <laughs> we were staying at this place, Zion Mountain Ranch, um, and my my girlfriend had her her dog uh, uh, with her, um, and her dog does not get along particularly well with other dogs. Her dog's a little bit afraid of other dogs. And of course, this ranch has three farm dogs and they're, um, they're great Burmese, something like mountain that. Mountain dogs? Yeah, great Burmese. No, it's it, great Burmese great mountain dogs. Burmese. They're like that, black, brown, Burmese, and white. Yeah. Burmese, yeah. Yeah, but these ones were white. Mm. Um, and, uh, and they were big. They were very, they were super nice and sweet, of course, but on our, but they basically would follow around my girlfriend's dog, um, uh, anytime that she was outside. Um, just like, just, just wanted to like keep an eye on her. Um, and so on the day that we're checking out, um, I'm like packing up stuff and, uh, my girlfriend's outside, you know, playing fetch with the dog and, then I, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but then very suddenly two of the uh, farm dogs were inside of our cabin <laughs> and one of the farm dogs makes a beeline for the bowl of food that we have out for my girlfriend's dog and uh, eats all the food and then proceeds to try to steal the bowl itself. <laughs> and the other farm dog, there's like a there, there was like a rawhide um, like dog treat that we'd gotten for my girlfriend's dog, and um, and the other farm dog just takes that and just immediately is like, I got my prize, I'm getting out of here before the authorities are called. But the first farm dog who tried to steal the 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 food bowl just like will not leave, like like it's just there and like will not leave. <laughs> And my girlfriend's dog is now has by this point come into the cabin and is like not amused and is just like hiding out on the bed next to me and is just like very unhappy. And then this farm dog, which I'm trying very hard to get this thing out, like sweetest farm dog ever. It's not like it's being aggressive, but just like, how do you get a, a great Burmese, Burmese dog? Didn't have a collar on, I take cabin? it. It did not have a collar, no, no. Um, and so then this dog tries to get on the bed with our dog and I'm like, well, this is not a good idea. And, uh, and like after like 15 minutes of this and the entire time we are just dying of laughter after 15 minutes of this, um, I, I finally managed to get, um, uh, the second great Bernese dog out, out of the cabin. And it's at that point when I noticed the third dog. Now the two that came in, they were the puppies um, and the, uh, there was a third one, which was, you know, an adult that, uh, was a fully trained farm dog and was supposed to be and they were all supposed to be hanging out together so that the adult one could sort of teach the puppies how to like behave like a farm dog. <laughs> and so the, the adult one, I think clearly knew that he was not supposed to go into guests cabins because he was just sitting at the, at the stairs to the cabin. But he was just like sitting there, like he was like the getaway driver. <laughs> and um, and so then finally I get this these dogs out of this cabin, and um, and and I go back, <laughs> and my girlfriend's like, we were just mugged, we were just mugged by farm dogs. They came in, they took our food, they took our dog treats, they tried to take our dog bowl, and then they left. <laughs> did you did you receive compensation for your loss? 
We we didn't. It was it was such a hilarious and amusing experience. We didn't even bring it up. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that was definitely a highlight of the trip. It was quite the story. Can't say I've ever been yeah. mugged by dogs. Yeah, yeah. So tell us more. But, yeah. Oh yeah. Did you hear the news? I assume you've heard the news. Which. A lot of news, no. podcast-related news. Oh, I did. I did hear that news. Yes. And I know. Yes. I know you aren't a. Uh, are you a regular listener? I don't. Th- you you sporadically listen, correct? I, I feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble if I answer this question truthfully. <laughs> I think I've listened to a episode. All right. Or two. So Bryce and I slightly different. I've listened to every single episode, and uh, it's sad news. First of all, just want to say thank you to uh, Jason and Rob. Maybe you should say what the news is for people who oh, yeah. don't. <laughs> CPP cast, the former Lee, number one C++ podcast, has retired as of um, two, I don't even know now, a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. I think it's been one Friday has passed, and one um, listeners, if they're listening to this, when it comes out on the Friday, it'll be two Fridays have passed. Where no CPP cast episodes came out, um, and yeah, so I'm going to make a promise to our listeners right now. What's the promise? The promise is that this podcast will continue Uh-oh. until one of us is dead. <laughs> can we can we agree on? Uh, oh wait, as long as as long as at some point we're allowed to take a little vacation, um, are vacations allowed? Maybe we can we can hi- we can hi- hire some staff to to. To like take some of the burden off of doing some of the production work, but no, no, no vacations. No vacations. But see, notice that I said until one of us is dead. So if you have a problem with this, you just have to kill me. <laughs> um, I will not agree. But uh, you know, Bryce is a. So, so why why did they uh, why did they end it? Um, they got to two hundred ninety four episodes, and I think um. So, well, first of all, before we talk about why they ended it, uh, just a huge thanks to um, Rob, who started the podcast, and Jace, Jason, who um, was co-host after, I think it was episode three or four. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to all the episodes, and um, yeah, it's, they're going to be missed for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, why did it end? I think they just both wanted, um, they had, not, I wouldn't say lost the passion or enthusiasm for it, but um Rob had a career change where I think he was doing less C++ stuff, still some C++, but a little bit more of .NET stuff. And Jason had mentioned that with his with the pandemic ending or quote unquote ending and sort of travel restrictions lightening, um, he was doing more more traveling for training and it was just getting more difficult. And at one point they were sort of bringing on um, guest co-hosts, which I, I on one episode was one of those guest co-hosts. And, um, and yeah, so I think they, they said it necessarily isn't going to be gone forever. Uh, they might decide to bring it back at some point, but, um, yeah, just thought shout out to CPP cast, but, uh, more importantly, you know what that means, Bryce, you know, we were, we are now the number one C++ podcast. <laughs> um, you know, it depends on how, how you categorize because still I think CPP chat, um, ranks above us, but they don't regularly release episodes. So I think it's fair to say that we are the number one regular weekly C++ podcast. I, even more than weekly because NDR, uh, Phil Nash, and Anastasia Kazakova, they have a regularly released 
podcast, but it's monthly. So I think we can say even more than weekly, we are the number one regularly releasing C++ podcast, soon to be, soon to be the number one in any category, overall C++ podcast. The last four episodes, which was really just one recording with Ben Dean, uh, were quite popular. We actually have to some updates that should be mentioned is that the problem that we, if you uh, recall for listeners, because we, we chopped those that one conversation into four parts and like didn't reintroduce the problem that we were talking about profiling every time. So might have been a little confusing for anyone that jumped into part three, not listening to parts one and two, but basically was finding the top two elements from an array. Uh, Marshall Clow, someone pointed out on Twitter, actually gave a talk where 50% of his talk was focused on this and pointed out that partial sum, at least in libc++, um, did like a uh, order of magnitude less swaps or comparisons and like less swaps and comparisons overall compared to um, nth element, which is why it was outperforming. And then Stepanov in his efficient programming with components uh, A9 lecture series has like five or six talks dedicated to a binary counter sort of divide and conquer algorithm that I have not gotten through all six lectures, but uh, we'll, we'll update people. And then also I presented a lightning talk on the Rapids team at NVIDIA, and then uh, Jay Kamstad got interested in the fact, he agreed completely with you that like profiling is a very hard thing that like no one ever really gets correctly unless if they've done some amount of like HPC profiling because that's where you start to learn that like your data really matters, corner cases really matters, you know, things like turning off, what did he say, CPU throttling or something like that. So like there's just so many things that uh, you need yeah. you need to do in order to be able to just, you know, actually gleam stuff from from your profiling results anyways the point is that those four episodes people seem to love seems like we should just lean into our c++ because that's what seems like that's what the most of the listeners want um speaking of which c++ now you didn't even really give us a recap favorite talks how, how was it how was the weather how was the vibe how was your talk my talk was good i think uh the weather was so so it was sunny but there was also you know your typical Aspen in May snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me look. Let me look. I took some very crude, very crude notes. Um, let's see if I can find my very crude notes. Uh, they're somewhere in here. Yeah. Um, Favorite talks? You there got- was a there was a talk I think by Teamer about. Atomic Shared Putter, which is, there have been a lot of talks at C++ now over the years about Atomic Shared Putter. And usually the, t- the moral of the talk is, we don't know how to implement it. Or one year, the moral of the talk was, we don't know how to implement it, but then I read this patent that gave me an idea for how to implement it, at which point the talk had to be a little bit shut down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this time, this time it was like, yeah, we know how to implement it now. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was quite a good talk. I, 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 um, I quite liked it. Um, there was also a talk by somebody from ThinkCell, and I don't remember the name of the talk. Arno? About, um, yeah. Um, it was talking about sort of how iterators can be, there's sort of two kinds of iterators. There's iterators that indicate borders and iterators that indicate elements. 
and that maybe we need to distinguish between the two. Is this uh, Arnold Schottel, why iterators got it all wrong and what we should use instead? Yes. Yeah. I apologize uh, for the mispronunciation uh, as I, I have a tendency to mispronounce. I believe that is a German name, the last name at least. I should I should point out though to interrupt you the O in Schottel uh, is the um, psi combinator from APL so it's a O with two dots over it so wonderful um, <laughs> and then that got me thinking about multidimensional iterators and then there's a bunch of scribbled notes here about multidimensional iterators um, which I had a chat with somebody about last week. Um, and then apparently I talked to Jeff. I'm, I am now just reading to you from my notes. This is no longer about, you know, no longer about what talks I saw. This is just what, what happened to Bryce. This is the, this is the, the preparation we bring to ADSP, the podcast. <laughs> then I chatted with Jeff Garland about the C++ 23 sort of queue. You know, how many things would be able to, would we be able to get things, all the things through in time? Um, and uh, it sounded like generator was chugging along and was pretty likely to get through. MD spans taking a good chunk of time. We had the idea that we were going to take one part of the MD span, this sub MD span thing, and we could make that a separable component because that's something that if we miss that one piece, we could always add it later. Um, and then we talked about moving static vector from the library fundamentals TSV3 to C++26 which would be exciting because it would mean that then there's nothing else going into the library fundamentals technical specification V3, and we could no longer do that. Um, let's see. I think I, I think I may have not really gone to any talks on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of good hallway conversations. And then I think by far my favorite talk was... Um, Sean's closing keynote on Circle, which I just thought was a very well executed talk, um, and uh, and in fact I, I sent Sean a, uh, an email afterwards because um, I've I've seen Sean give a few different talks on Circle over the years, um, and for the, uh, do you want to just Cir give Circle. a little plug for what Circle is in case our listeners are brand new. Circle is a better C++ compiler for a better dialect of C++. Um, if you ask me, I'd say that Circle could become the future of C++. Um, but uh, Sean Baxter is the, the person who developed Circle um, on his own over the past five years. Just as a, just he, he, um, he left his job and just wanted to go and build this thing as a full-time project. And he's done that. And it's very impressive. But, um, but I've, I've seen him give talks on it a, a few times over the past few years. And, um, uh, you know, Circle's an amazing technology. He's a brilliant individual. Um, the, this presentation, though, it was the, it, like he was in rare form. It was the best um, uh, pitch of, of what he's got that I've seen. I, I just thought that Sean get a, did an amazing job of, um, of presenting the thesis for Circle mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, made a very compelling argument for, you know, what, why he's built it, why the design decisions that he's made in building it, and sort of how all of the parts sum up to something 
or add up something greater than just the sum of those parts. Um, yeah, and it was it was crisp, it was approachable. I was just I was so impressed with it. And then we got to the Q and A section at the end, and the first like five or six questions were all people. Um, I, I would say questioning or debating the merits of his approach. And it, um, it, it shocked me, actually. It shocked me because um, I had found his presentation and, and not just the presentation, but, but the actual technical merit behind what he was presenting um, so compelling that I just assumed that everybody was just going to be like, yep, we're sold. Um, but no, but it was like the, the, almost all of the questions were like, this is really impressive, but you know, X, Y, Z, you know, thing that I disagree with, or have you thought about this? Um, and, and one of the points that some people made was that, um, uh, a lot of the things in the work that that Sean's focusing on now, which he sort of calls circle 2.0 is a little bit of a departure from his original vision for circle and the circle meta model, which was just supposed to be like, Oh, you can just write regular C plus plus code and execute it at compile time. And during the talk, he does a great job of explaining why his thinking has evolved from that circle 1.0 model to the circle 2.0 model. Um, and I think some people, you know, some people disagreed with the circle 1.0 model, but um, uh, some people really liked it. Um, and a bunch of people basically, it seemed like less people understood or were on board with um, the direction of uh, uh, where Sean was going. Um, or maybe it wasn't that people were saying, you know, we reject this entirely. It was more people were saying, you know, maybe I have critiques about this part or that part or this part. Um, but like, I basically had no notes. I'm sure that if I went and thought about it more, I would have notes and feedbacks on some things. Um, it's some of the some of the critiques that were made I did find were valid, um, but it broke my heart a little bit that like the response to Sean's talk was not just a round of applause. Anyways, everybody should go watch Sean's talk. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll I'll link in the show notes. There's both a I believe I know that there's a CPP chat episode where they uh, hosts interview Sean Baxter, and I believe there's also a CPP cast one. Um, so I'll link both of those, but what's interesting, um, that you say that sort of the questioning, the first few questions were, you know, impressive, but did, you know, and then insert whatever critique or question they had, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the history of, cause at, at one point, and you probably know the history of this better than I do, um, the meta programming working group on the ISO committee sort of, I think, invited Sean to a meeting. At, I'm not sure if it was in New York and Bloomberg hosted it or whatever, but like there was a conversation about the fact that we went from template metaprogramming and we were going towards const expert metaprogramming. And then they had this circle language, which had a different circle metaprogramming model. And like, yeah, do you, do you want to fill in the details or just... The, the committee rejected the circle meta model for a variety of reasons, but one of them was that it sort of allowed um, you to do anything at compile time. And there were some, I think, security concerns around that, um, around you know doing things like file IO, et cetera, 
um, in your meta programs. Um, I think that was one of the main uh, complaints. Uh, there were some other criticisms. Um, but yeah, for, for a variety of reasons like that security question, I think the committee um, uh, kind of ruled out um, uh, the, the possibility of seriously considering Sean's proposed extensions. Um, I don't have all the details on that, but I, I do think it was a bit premature, but um, my, my I don't think the committee said to Sean never come back. I think, um, you know, Sean has been in an environment where he's been, uh, you know, developing on his own. He's been able to move very quickly. And like oftentimes, you know, he'll, he's the first person to implement a new proposed C++ yeah. committee feature or, you know, I'll have a conversation with him and then like the next day he will have implemented something based on that conversation. The agility that he has with that compiler in comparison to Clang or GCC yeah. is just like shocking. Night and day. And, you know, I, I asked Sean once, why didn't you just do all this in Clang? And he told me that, uh, hopefully I'm not breaching any confidence of his here, but he told me um, that he evaluated Clang back when he started this project and he just determined that it was not suitable. And that was a little shocking to me. And, but then I thought about it a little bit. Um, and I, I explored why was that shocking to me? I, you know, got into uh, C++ programming in the 2010, 2011, back when Clang was the new kid on the block and Clang was so much better than, and the competition, you know, it was um, more agile and easier to work with than GCC and the Microsoft compiler. And it was structured as a library and it was written in C++ and it was really easy to hack on and modify. Um, and, you know, so, some of the earliest work that I did was messing around with Clang. Um, and and so that, that experience of those early days of Clang, and obviously... There were a lot of bugs and it was not, you know, it, it was not as mature as it, as it is today. Um, but my experience of those early days in Clang when it was a very new code base and very hackable um, and uh, very pristine, um, I think in my mind, I've, I've continued to think about it um, that way even a decade later. But it is a decade later. And so now Clang is a, you know, a software project that's in its second decade. Um, and uh, software projects that are, that are a little bit aged like that tend to accrue some legacy. And so the code base has become very large. Um, and because it's become such an important and crucial technology, um, you know, landing a patch in Clang takes a lot longer than it used to. Sometimes it can take years and there's, you know, um, as is always the case with open source, there are far fewer maintainers and code owners to review patches and approve changes and validate changes than, than, uh, than there are incoming changes. Um, and, and so in a way, I think Clang has, Clang today is in the place where GCC was in you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, hmm. um, where 
it is no longer the the new the agile newcomer. It is now the um, the big incumbent. And so it is completely unsurprising to me after I had this revelation that Sean, who was looking to disrupt the C++ compiler space, took one look at the big incumbent and was like, I can go build, I can go build a better, you know, more agile C++ frontend. Um, and I think as evidenced by the speed with which he is able to prototype and, and deploy new proposed C++ features, um, he made the right choice. Um, and that also says something about the, the state of C++ compilers out there. Um, but so one of the reasons why I think um, Circle and the C++ committee were never gonna be a good fit is Circle just moves way, way, way faster than the C++ committee and way, way, way faster than the, the big production C++ compilers. And like, I, I think Circle is 10 years ahead of the competition. Now, obviously, if you go and build a, you know, a production compiler around Circle, if you start to use it in anger, you know, you're going to have to do all the things that make it robust enough for production usage, and that will slow it down a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, if you take something that's 10 years ahead and um, uh, turn it into a production code um, that does make it less agile, but you still have something that's 10 years ahead. Um, so I think, I'm, I'm not certain whether, whether we'll ever see circle features um, uh, or all of the circle features be standardized. Circle certainly is having an impact on standardization. And increasingly, it's become a, a um, you know, one of the places where we get implementation experience with committee proposals. Um, but uh, I, I think that it is good and healthy for C++ that Circle is able to run ahead of the standard yeah. um, and to run like far ahead of the standard and sort of prototype a, uh, exciting future vision for what C++ could be. Yeah. And in my opinion, what C++ should be. We should have, we should have Sean on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the two things I'll say, we can kind of wrap up this episode and start episode, whatever, 80 or whatever we're on, um, is that, uh, unfortunately we won't be able to link to this keynote talk because, I don't think CPP now puts their talks online until like one to two months afterwards. So I'd say check back in like one to two months, but there's no way I'll remember to like add to the show notes <laughs> once it's online. Uh, but I will link the C++ now YouTube channel, which they will go online at some point. So you will be able to watch it at some point, but probably not this weekend. And the second thing to note is that it's surprising about Clang because they used to be sort of the front runner in terms of feature implementation. And now I'll, I'll throw a link in the show notes to this as well. If you go to the um, CPP reference compiler support page, pretty in a in like a pretty obvious way, Clang is the trailing of the three yeah. major compilers of GCC, MSVC, and shocking? Clang. Like I pay very close attention to the. Um, the ranges and views that uh, get added to the standard. And so there's a bunch of them that got added to C plus plus 23 
And I'd say in first place by a long shot is MSVC. I think that's probably because I could be wrong about this. This is totally speculation, but I believe Casey Carter works for Microsoft and is a ranges expert. Um, so it's, yes. it's probably doing very quickly. Uh, and I, if not, and, and he, yeah, no, he does have his own ranges implementation. So he has a ton of ranges implementation experience. So I think that's, that's probably the reason, but GCC is, uh, comes in second place and then Clang, uh, I don't. I'm not sure if they actually have any of the C plus plus twenty three ranges stuff, and across the board in general, yeah, Clang, which is kind of surprising because five years ago, Clang would was kind of I had heard on podcasts and stuff that they'd be famous for like in in a committee meeting implementing some like paper. Yeah, Richard Smith used to used to commit the the implementation of features into the Clang trunk as they were voted into the standard. Yeah, which is it's crazy to think that they went from that to. Well, I think I I I think if. Software projects are about people, and if you look at, um, you know, if you look at who used to be involved in directly working on Clang, and now um, th there's been a shift, and a number of people who used to be very heavily involved are not as involved. So yeah, if, if you're out there looking to get involved in compiler work or C++ bleeding edge feature implementation, check out Clang. It's open source, and they would probably... Uh... Appreciate your support. All right, wrapping up episode, whatever this was, 70-something. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.